Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan Harris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at East Point. I work in the, uh, the discipleship ministry area, so uh, with life groups and life classes and all that. Hey, can you guys believe that we're almost at the end of 2012? Where did the time go? It seems like it just became 2012 to me. As a matter of fact, I remember back when everybody was freaking out about the whole Y2K thing. I knew people who were, uh, you know, buying gas for their generators and bullets for their guns. Uh, just seeing, it's crazy to me how fast the time is flying. But, you know, this time of year, people talk about resolutions, right? What are you going to do differently this year? How is your life going to be different this year to make it happier, to make it more fulfilled, to do something differently, maybe in relationships or at work or wherever, Well, this morning, I want to talk about a couple of resolutions. They're really two sides of the same coin that I think that everyone here in this room can make, whether you're a Christ follower right now or you're not at the moment. These are resolutions that you can make. And and to kind of get us going this morning, I got a question for you. Has anybody here, through ignorance or arrogance, misused something, maybe a tool or some information, and then had it kind of come back and bite you in the rear end later? I have. There was a time, I was in the eighth grade, and uh, a friend of mine and I decided to blow up one of his G.I. Joes, so we got into his dad's black powder. And uh, we, we got a nice big pile of black powder, set the G.I. Joe there, and my friend, who obviously had a bit more wisdom than I did, uh, stood a couple of feet back from this pile of black powder, and he was lighting the matches and throwing them at the, at the pile, trying to get the thing to light. And, all, and me, and all of my infinite wisdom and full-blown training in the Acme, how to blow things up, you know, courses I, I took while watching Looney Tunes, um, I said, give me those matches. Let me show you how to do this. And I, I bend over this, this pile of black powder, light a match, and touch it directly to, to the black powder. Yeah, it, it blew up in my face. And I ended up with second-degree burns on my fingers and... You know, I I tell that story because I thought I could use this black powder in one way, and it turns out that the black powder wouldn't let me use it that way, right? I didn't get to determine how this was used. And it reminds me of a story in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples, and he stops and asks them a question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers for for the rest of the disciples. He has the right answer. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, good job, Pete. You got it right. You answered correctly. You you, you answered this right. But then, as the encounter goes on, we see that, that Jesus and Peter had two completely different visions of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do. Because Jesus has to, in fact, rebuke Peter. Jesus says, the Messiah has to die The Messiah has to suffer and die at the hands of of the Romans and of the religious leaders. And Peter, in essence, says, shut up. Don't say that. You can't say that because if if that happens, then our revolution is over. Then you're not coming in and you're not not establishing us as the head and everyone else as the tail. He He was operating on some bad information about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. Kind of reminds me of a a scene in a movie, don't judge me, Uh, Talladega Nights. Uh, Ballad of Ricky Bobby. He's sitting at the table with his family. And he's about to say grace. And he starts praying to dear baby Jesus. And he's going on about baby Jesus this and baby Jesus that. 
And, and finally, his family stops him and says, what are you doing? Baby Jesus grew up and became a man. And he turns to them and he says, you guys can all pray to adult baby Jesus. You can pray to bearded baby Jesus. I like thinking about little baby Jesus in the manger. And he goes on, dear eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. And he starts think, thanking baby Jesus for all baby Jesus has done to him. And as if, as if that's, that's Jesus' purpose, is to make his life better. And you know what? We do the exact same thing. Maybe, maybe you don't pray to baby Jesus. Maybe your, your conception of Jesus isn't the infant in the manger, but maybe for you, you're sitting here this morning and, and you think Jesus is a crutch. You think Jesus is a crutch for weak people who can't build anything with their own two hands. And so you just don't live with Jesus. I don't need him. He's a crutch and I don't need a crutch. Maybe you're here this morning and for you, Jesus is kind of like the guy from the, the, the department of, uh, I don't know, weights and scales or whatever that is, that goes around to the gas stations and makes sure that we're not paying more than we should for the amount of gas that we're, we're, we think we're, we're pumping. And that Jesus is some kind of divine scale watcher where at the end of your life, he's going to judge you based on, is there more good and less bad? If, if that's the way the scales tip, then you're good and you're in. But, that, but that's all Jesus is there for. It's just up to you to kind of... Uh, work your way through life, struggle your way. Maybe for you, you're sitting here this morning and you think Jesus is just an add-on. He's something for Sunday mornings, or for Christmas, or for Easter, or for when you've got a crisis. But he doesn't touch any other area of your life. This morning, what I want to talk about is that we need to burn these boxes that we put Jesus in. We need to burn them. Because the reality of the situation is that you and I, we don't get to define Jesus. We don't get to define who he is. We don't get to define what he gets to say to us in our lives. That's up to him, and that's our big point this morning. To think that we invite Jesus to join our lives is a total misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. The reality is that it's up to us to join him in everything that that entails. Now, just so you know, I'm not talking down my nose at anybody. This is something that God has been working in my heart and in my life, and it's really becoming revolutionary for me. It's, it's given me a new way to, to, to look at the world, to look at my place in the world. And I think if you let it, if you let it challenge you, it will do the same for you. So with that, first thing I want to I look at this morning, the first point on your outline we need to understand that Jesus came as the fulfillment of God's story. Jesus came as the fulfillment of God's story. Not the fulfillment of my story. Not the fulfillment of your story, of God's story. Matthew's gospel opens up with a genealogy. And, and most of us, we look at these genealogies and we think, oh my gosh, why is this here? I don't care who begat who, who begat who, who begat who. This is just boring. Get on to the good stuff. But at the end of this genealogy, Matthew, Matthew says this in, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, and I'll talk about what that was in, in just a minute here, 14 generations. 
And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, I read that one verse of this because it, it really sums up what, what, what Matthew is talking about, what the message he's trying to give us. And he gives us three highlights. Abraham, David, and the exile. Has anybody here ever experienced, whether it was something really happy or something traumatic, but then every time you, you, you are around certain smells or sights or sounds, you're just transported right back to that place? You ever experienced that? When I was uh, in high school, I was on a volunteer fire department, and one day a, a lady in our church was in a car accident and she died. And I was, I was on the scene there. But one of the things that connects me to that scene, and every time I smell this, I, I, I'm transported back, and it's, it's transmission fluid, because there was transmission fluid on the ground. And the air just reeked of it, and, and when, whenever I smell it or I even think of that smell, I remember how overcast it was. I remember the feelings I felt. I remember things that were said to me like it just happened a moment ago. That's what Matthew is doing with this genealogy. It's a trigger mechanism. It's something for people to hear and remember. Abraham, David, and the exiles, he's talking about God's story. He's talking about what God has done, what God has promised. In Genesis chapters 12, 15, and 17, God says to Abraham, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you a big, great nation, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put the whole world right through you. It's going to happen through your family. Then we jump forward to King David. King David in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 17 is given a promise by God. God says, David, I'm going to set up your son on an eternal throne. His kingdom is going to be an eternal throne, and he's going to rule in righteousness and in justice, and he's going to shepherd my people. But then the exile happens. For years, Israel disobeyed God. They ignored God's covenant. And so God finally had enough. He said, that's it. You're going into a timeout. And, and he sends them away from their land, and they're devastated, and it's hard. But all through it, as you read through the prophets who, who prophesied while they were in exile, God says over and over again, I am going to be, I, I, I'm with you. I haven't left you alone. I haven't forgotten you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to send you a deliverer. He's going to be my Messiah, and he's going to bring you back to me. And at that point, I'm going to be king of the world. And so these three points, Abraham, David, and the exile, Matthew talks about these things to, to bring this story to the forefront of our minds. And it's after that that he talks about the Christmas story. You guys, the Christmas story flows out of God's great big plan and story, okay? And Matthew presents Jesus as the culmination of this story. Jesus is the point. Everything before Jesus is leading up to him is about him. Everything afterwards flows from him. He's the point of it all. Jesus came to fulfill God's story. And this story continues today. Whether you recognize it or not, you are in that story. You're part of it right now. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, you're part of that story. 
And Jesus invites us to join him in that story. So he fulfills it, and then he invites us to join him in it. Uh, That's point two on your outline. Jesus came to call us to join God's kingdom, God's rule and reign. Jesus came to call us to join God's kingdom, God's rule and reign. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're given a short summary of Jesus' message. There was a lot more that he said and a lot different ways that he said it. But in Matthew 4, 17, we're told, From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It's come near. You see, as Jesus fulfills God's story, he proclaims that God is king. Not only of Israel, but of the entire world. Whether, we, whether I want to recognize that or not, he is king even of me. Now, when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven has come near, for many of us, we, we typically want to think of another world, a place that we go after we die, you know, with streets of gold and eating bonbons and playing harps and, you know, all that kind of a thing, right? But that is not what Jesus has in mind here when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about, when he says the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's talking about God's rule and reign established on earth now. It's drawing near now. And he invites us to join him. He says, because it's drawn near, repent. You think, well, what do I need to repent of? Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I I don't feel really bad of anything. Repentance and remorse are two different things. Now, the Bible does say that, that, that we can feel a, a good remorse and it will lead us to repentance, but we don't have to feel remorse in order to repent. Repentance is simply a choice to stop doing one thing and to do something else. It's a choice that we make, and Jesus comes and he calls us, repent, stop living the world's way and start living my way. Join me because God is establishing his kingdom here and now. Reminded of that scene in Karate Kid when uh, Mr. Miyagi is, he's asking Daniel, you ready to begin your training? And Daniel says, yeah, I guess so. Mr. Miyagi pulls him inside and he looks him in the eye and he says, walk right side of the road, safe. Walk left side of the road, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later. Get the squish, just like grape. My best Miyagi impersonation. Um, Yeah, thank you, I'll be here all day. Um, But for Jesus, he's not telling us to walk on one side or the other. He says, get in line with it or don't. It's kind of like warning people who are playing on train tracks that a freight train is coming. This train is coming and you're in danger. You got to get off of the tracks. Jesus says, repent. Stop living the world's way and start living my way. In this call to repentance, Jesus urged those he was talking to, and by extension us as well, to choose to give up the world's way and instead to live his way. And we could go, I mean, I can't cover all of his way right now. I mean, we we don't have time for it. You can read that as you read further into Matthew. But that, it, it, this brings us to the last point I want to make today. It's up to us to choose to follow wholeheartedly. It's up to us to choose to follow wholeheartedly. 
This is where we come into the story. This is the part that we get to play, to choose to accept that Jesus really is the king and to follow him or not. Matthew 4, 18 to 22, Jesus calls some guys to be his disciples, and it says this, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Anybody here have, um, either you were or have children who work hard at getting out of chores? I, I, I used to do that. when I, was a, I remember one time in particular when I was a kid, I was notorious for not having a clean bedroom. I'm kind of notorious for that now, but that's another story. Uh, anyway, my dad, he took me into our kitchen. He set an egg timer and set it on the counter and said, okay, you got 20 minutes. You need to clean your room or there's going to be some consequences. It's like, okay. So I go into my room and I just start dinking around. I'm playing with my toys. I'm you know, doing everything except for cleaning my bedroom. The one thing he's told me to do. And I don't know, there must have been somewhere between two and five minutes left on the egg timer when I finally decided, you know, maybe I better clean my room. So I looked out of my bedroom door to see if my dad was around, and I walk into the kitchen and I reset the egg timer, <laughs> giving myself some more time. Uh, unfortunately for me, my, my dad was a lot smarter than I gave him credit for, and he understood that, you know, 15 to 20 minutes doesn't turn into 40 minutes. Um, so even though I got my room clean, I, I, I did get into a little bit of trouble that day. But that is not what these, these guys are doing when Jesus calls them and they, they leave their dad and their nets. The whole point of this is that they are leaving a way of life behind. They are leaving their livelihood. They are even leaving their family and saying that the Messiah and his family take precedence over everything. It's an amazing response, and it's really contrasted with, the, uh, with, with an account in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus, a, a rich young ruler, comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, I know that you have life and that you can give it. How do I get involved in, in this life? And, and Jesus says to him, well, keep all of the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, check. I've been doing that since I was about this high. And Jesus says, well, one thing you lack Go and sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the Bible says, Matthew says that, that he went away sad because he was very wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. And when we look at these two accounts side by side, we, what we see is that to be a real follower means that we choose to leave everything behind. Nothing takes precedence over Jesus. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 50. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That should startle us because the first two parables that Jesus tells are all about somebody who, who finds something worth a lot and they sell everything in order to get it. But then that last bit, that last saying highlights what the first two parables were about because he says the righteous ones are the ones who sell everything. The righteous ones are the ones who follow me and don't let anything get in the way. They're after me and my kingdom. Now, please hear me. It is absolutely true that God loves the world. We are told that, that God sent his son to die for us. That is true. God loves us immensely. That song that we sing, Oh How He Loves, is, is absolutely true. But it's also true that God is in the process of establishing his kingdom on earth. And the people who get involved in that kingdom sell everything for that kingdom. But what does it look like for us to do that? Here's where we get into our resolutions. The first action step on your outline. It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. Remember, repentance is not about feeling bad about something. It's deciding to do life differently. It's about choosing to stop one thing and start something else. So for you, maybe you need to repent of, of thinking of Jesus as a crutch, of living your life like he's a crutch for weak people and you don't need him because you're doing pretty good. Maybe you need to repent of treating Jesus like that divine scale watcher thinking that all you have to do is just get enough good and you're in. Maybe for you, you're here and you need to repent of thinking of Jesus as, as something to pull out of a box at Christmas or Easter or, 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 or some other religious time. But then he has absolutely nothing to say to you about the rest of your life. Repent, choose to live differently, choose to live as he, like he is really the king of the kingdom. Here's the second step, the second um, thing that you can do this New Year's resolution. It continues with choosing to follow daily. I told you at the beginning, these are really two sides of the same coin. It, it continues with choosing to follow daily. Daily. I don't know how many times I've had to uh, choose on a daily basis to follow Jesus. When somebody cuts me off and I'm tempted to give them the California wave. When, when, you know, when somebody slights me and I want to punch them in the nose or whatever, I, I, I have a choice. I'm faced every day, sometimes moment by moment, with a choice to love or hate, to forgive or to harbor bitterness. It's a choice. Now, the good news is that as we join God's team, when we do that, the Bible says that we are given his spirit. And his spirit is his actual presence with us. And the Holy Spirit, he enables us to live as God's kids. 
He enables us to, to live the kingdom life, but it begins with a choice. We choose that rather than the world's way of living. And then as we get together on Sunday mornings and we sing praises to God, we're filled with the Spirit. As we give thanks to God, we get, we get filled with the Spirit. As we serve one another, we get filled with the Spirit. All right? He, he helps us to do this. We're not left on our own. But the, but the truth here is that we have this choice. That's the challenge in front of me and in front of you this morning. So let me ask you this. Are you going to be like Ricky Bobby and keep, keep going with your conception of, of Jesus or are you going to burn that box and are you going to let Jesus speak to you and tell you who he is and really wreck you and make you into his image? That choice is before us right now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your love, for your stubborn, relentless love that chases us into the darkest corners of our lives. God, that your desire for us is, is to not leave us as, as in, in whatever messy situations we're, we're in, but, but rather to, to build us up, to make us whole. And Father, thank you that you have given us the way to do that, and that is through your Son. That is by making this choice to repent and to follow on a daily basis, God. Lord, for all of us here who, who have been Christ followers for any length of time, God, I pray that you would give us the grace of, of, of showing us where we need to repent. Because, Lord, I know you're not done with any of us. You want us to be more like you. You want us to reflect you in your love, in your mercy, in your image. So help us, Father. Help us to receive that grace from you, knowing that you're with us and that you're going to help us to get beyond that. If you're here this morning and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you want to get in on what the king is doing and on his kingdom, I'm going to say a prayer here. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand or stand up or come up or anything like that. Just make this yours. God, I want to live your life. I want to follow your son. I want to be a member of your kingdom. And so right now, I choose to set aside everything. The way that I typically deal with, with, with crisis and people and relationships and everything. And I want you to teach me how to live your way. Establish your kingdom in me and then use me to further your kingdom in this world. Father, for anyone who has said that prayer this morning, I pray that you would be with them, that you would encourage them, that you would build them up, and that Holy Spirit, you would fill them right now with your peace, with your presence, that they would be assured of their place with you, but also that they would be firm in their resolve and in their courage to follow you.
God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus and thank you for inviting us to join you this year. Help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're gonna sing one last song and as we do, the, uh, the ushers are gonna come up and, and we're gonna have the offering. If you filled out that communication card, this would be the time you can fold that up and put it in the offering basket as it goes by. But uh, let's sing and then I'll come up and, and wrap us up. In Christ, we really are free to be, free to live, and free to love. Hey, you know what? If you began your life today as a Christ follower, I want to encourage you back by the doors as you exit. There's these new believer packets. And uh, in there, there's a New Testament and some other information for you. But we'd love to chat with you. Tell somebody if, if that's the case for you that you began that, that time today. And if you're looking to further your discipleship and, and really following Jesus as King of the Kingdom, we've got a class coming up called the Matthew Journey in February. I want to encourage you. You can sign up online for that. Um, but, but, but check into that. And then also, uh, come back tomorrow night for our, our New Year's Eve service. We'll, we'll, we're going to have a good time together. Thanks for being here, and we'll look forward to seeing you later.